0: Luke chapter two. Did we? Did you see the slides during announcements of the pews that were donated? Good. I. Um, there they are. So you'll recognize them. I forget the name of it, to be honest, but it's a church. You you, you can tell by the windows. But I honestly do forget the name of it. But they're uh, they're out. They're up, they're good. They're not in a landfill site or anything like that, but they're being repurposed, and that's awesome. Luke chapter 2. Give you a minute to find it. Luke chapter 2. We read the, the passage last week because it came before the passage dealing with Anna, and I read it for completion of the thought, but we'll separate it today and read it. Um, I began a series just earlier in December, just for Christmas, about unsung heroes and heroines of the Christmas story. And a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to you about Joseph. Now, I know Joseph gets a reasonable amount of airtime, but uh, he is not usually the focus of the Christmas story. So I wanted to give him some precious airtime, because the scriptures certainly do. And then last week, someone that's a lot more vague to us, a lot more unknown, is Anna. And there's only three verses given to her. Uh, But she says something really wonderful about the Christ child. And then today, this morning, the third unsung hero or heroine is Simeon. And we're going to read his story beginning in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Let me begin there. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the constellation of Israel... And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required. And of course, that's the offering of, of the two pigeons, the two doves uh, for the, uh, the cleansing and the presentation. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, So I want to pause here for a minute because this struck me as interesting. Mary and Joseph are walking into the temple courts. They're getting ready to do the sacrificial offering that's necessary at this time as the presentation of Jesus and for her cleansing. And there's this guy that they don't know called Simeon. We talked last week about Anna, but there's a guy they don't know called Simeon. We don't really know much about him. The Bible says in Luke that there was a guy there was a man. It says that he was righteous and devout, but it doesn't give any other details. Some have speculated that maybe he was a priest and he would be familiar with the temple. And I mean, that's a, that's a possibility. I think it's a reach. I think if he was a priest, probably the Bible would have said he was a priest. Instead, he's given to us, he's presented to us. It's just, he's a man. But he's, he's in the temple courts waiting for Joseph and Mary to come in with the baby. And then the Bible says this. When the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying. So if he's not a priest, and Simeon just took the child, how weird is that? It's like you're walking in the mall of Windsor, and somebody in the mall thinks that your kid's cute, and they just walk up to you and say, can you pass me your child? If he was a priest... Although it doesn't say that he was, it makes a little more sense. It's a little less disruptive. But I think in the 21st century that we live in these days, if some stranger just kind of walked up to us and said, hey, let me see your baby, we, we would be yelling, police. <laughs> so he takes the child in his arms, and this is what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign. Remember I shared about a sign with Emmanuel? And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, your own heart too. Let me just begin by bringing something to your attention that maybe you miss when you're reading this story because I think it's important to set up the rest of the story. The Bible says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a fancy way of saying that Simeon was waiting for God's Messiah to be revealed. Basically, that's it. And the Bible goes on to say that Simeon was told that he would not die until he had seen this consolation of Israel. And the Bible uses some really interesting language, beginning in verse 25. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. In the next verse, in verse 26, it says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And in the next verse, verse 27, it says moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And this is why I don't think he was a priest. He just went into the temple courts. But there's, there's three, three points of reference there that tell us that the Holy Spirit was a huge part of what was about to take place. Now, that may not seem significant as it relates to the overall Christmas story, but Luke, as he writes his his letter, his, his, his gospel to the people, you can't help but miss that in the first few chapters of Luke's gospel, he spends a lot of time talking about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of people. If you went all the way back to chapter 1, and chapter one's a really long chapter, but you can see again the role of the Holy Spirit here as it relates to Elizabeth and John the Baptist and everything that is going on. There's this emphasis that the Holy Spirit is at work. So one of the things that I take from this is that... God is working his overall plan to save humankind through the birth of Jesus Christ. But also the birth narrative gives us a really big introduction to the moving of the Holy Spirit in the lives of everyday people. Because remember, these are everyday people whether it's Zachariah and Elizabeth, even though he's of the priestly family, whether it's Anna or whether it's Simeon. I mean, what you see here is the role of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, being poured out upon people in order to bring God's perfect will, I guess, in place. And so I look at Simeon, and I, and I see this as an ordinary guy that in three occasions it says that the Holy Spirit was on him, the Holy Spirit revealed to him, and the Holy Spirit moved him to go to a certain place at a certain time to do a certain thing. So Christmas time, this first Christmas time, is a reminder, too, that God is actively working in his people through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, as a Pentecostal church we probably should not be surprised by that. But maybe what we are surprised by is the activity of the Spirit moving through the lives of God's people at this time. That this is a Holy Spirit thing. It's not just a God up in heaven thing. But it's a Holy Spirit thing working through the individual lives of people in order to bring God's will to pass. God sends angels. God's got shepherds. He's got heavenly choirs. He's got all kinds of things going on. But at the end of the day, it's God's spirit moving through people. And I want you to remember that as you're, you know, sharing the Christ story, sharing the birth narrative and what that means to friends and family at this time of the year, that we just have to make room for the Holy Spirit to work through us, to share it well, to share it effectively, to share it with unction and anointing so that people really understand the obvious, that it's not about presents under a tree, it's not about a tree, it's not about Santa Claus, it's it's not about any of those things. But it's about a Savior that is born to us, it tells us in Matthew 1, and that He is going to save His people from their sins. But it's the Holy Spirit that works this in our lives and works it out through other people. Simeon couldn't have been the man on the spot if he wasn't attentive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So there's, there's a thought for you at Christmas time. What can the Holy Spirit do through me at Christmas time to make the reality and the real message of Christmas real to other people that maybe don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior yet? Because it is a Holy Spirit thing. We know the story, but it's the Holy Spirit that makes it real. It was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was revealed to him. And the Holy Spirit moved him. The third person of the Trinity, very involved. The Father sent his Son. The Son came, was born of the Virgin Mary, would eventually lay his life down. But the third person of the Trinity is alive and well in this, moving through the hearts and minds of people, making sure that God's will comes to pass. And I trust that that's your desire at this Christmas time too. So Simeon, who was he? It really doesn't matter who he was. We know that the Holy Spirit led him into the temple courts so that he would be able to intercept Mary and Joseph. I'm sure it was revealed to him that there would be a couple coming with a child. And that would be the child that would bring the salvation uh, to the people of Israel, to the world. And so because he was righteous and devout, God is working through him. He's sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he comes up and there's this divine moment. And he takes the child in his hands and he utters these amazing things. He had been patiently waiting for the consolation of Israel, for God's response into the world to bring the Messiah to the people of Israel, that the redemptive plan would begin. So he had been waiting for that. The Bible says that it had been revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen that with his own eyes. So again, we can surmise from this that he's probably not a young guy. He's probably a little bit older, probably a little bit advanced in age. Again, the number we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. But he was told that he was not going to pass away until that had happened. It also then reveals to us that he had been patiently waiting for this to happen, and finally the moment was upon him. So again, don't just blow through the scriptures. Stop and think about this for a minute. Put yourself, insert yourself into the scriptures. Here's a guy that the Holy Spirit had told him him, that you're not going to pass away until you see the Savior, until you see the Messiah. He had been waiting for this for some time. Now, think about the last time you had been waiting for something for some time. Some of us have a hard time even thinking about that. Well, when was the last time I was really, really excited, kind of patiently or impatiently waiting for something really cool to happen? If you were 15, it, it might have been for your driver's license at 16. Remember that? Couldn't wait to get your hand on mom and dad's car. Mom and dad were equally excited. LAUGHTER Maybe it's the vacation that you've been saving up for for a long time, and it, it's, it's getting close, and you can't wait. Maybe it was the wedding vows. Not as much enthusiasm for that. I'll move on. <laughs> Your first job? I don't know. First grandchild. first grandchild. That's a good answer, seeing as I got at least one of them here. The point of the matter is, is that it's probably hard to get inside of Simeon's head and Simeon's heart to really appreciate the, the level of anticipation he'd had. He wasn't waiting for a vacation. He wasn't wa- waiting to share, you know, marriage nuptials. He-, he wasn't waiting to get his first camel license. This guy had been told by God that he was going to be around and would see with his own, sigh, his own eyes the consolation of Israel, God's deliverer. And so he had been waiting for that probably for years, perhaps decades, I don't know. And so it's, it's, it's the day. And the Holy Spirit moves on him in this day and says to him in some way or another, this is the day you need to go to the temple courts because you're going to see my salvation. He doesn't know who the couple is. He doesn't know what the baby's going to look like, but he knows that day's going to happen. You could almost imagine that his heart is beating faster and stronger, that he's, he's a little anxious, and he's probably waiting for the clock to tick by in order to do that interception. And he finally gets there and he sees Mary and Joseph coming across the temple courts, which were, you know, reasonably large. And God says, go now and as he's, as he's going, the couple's getting closer and closer, and my thought is that his face is getting brighter and brighter, and the smile is getting bigger and bigger, and if I'm Mary and Joseph, and I see this guy in a mission coming to me, I'm getting a little apprehensive now. Who is this guy, and why is he targeting us? But he comes, and he comes, and he comes, and he stops in front of him, and he takes the child in his arms, and the next thing you know, he starts to wax eloquently, because the Holy Spirit is upon him, and he begins to prophesy about what this child is going to be and what he's going to do this is the day that he was waiting for In, in a sense this was the day that he was made for and it's happening right now it couldn't get any better than this moment and this day this is the best day ever for him this is the fulfillment of his life's goals and purpose. This is the one thing, now think about this, this is the one thing that this guy can say, now that I've seen him, now that I've seen this one thing, it's okay if I die now. Now think about that. What one thing would you say, if I saw this or did that or experienced that, that I'd be okay to die the next moment? I can't think that the list is long on that. That's how big this day is. In other words, everything that happens after this moment is anticlimactic. Everything that happens after this moment is going to pale in comparison to the moment I just have. So he takes the child in his arms. Let's keep reading. And look at verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in... In peace. Don't miss that. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. There is a peace. There is a contentment. There is a sense of accomplishment. There is like, you know what? It's all good now. It would be okay for me to step into eternity in peace. Because I've seen the best thing that someone could see. I'm aware of The best thing that's God going to do. Look at this at this moment. In this moment, and I already preached on Anna last week. There are two people in this moment who get it. The priests that are going to take the sacrifice the people that are in the temple courts, all of the other activity that's going on, they see a couple presenting a child and, and the sacrifice for the rites of purification. They see that all of the time. That's not a big deal. But there are two people led by the Holy Spirit who see this couple walking across the temple courtyard and they, they, they kind of you know zone in on them and they bless the child and one of them holds the child and, and they recognize that this is God's son. There's only two people other than Mary and Joseph, that have any inkling of what's going on in this moment. Everybody else is just a passerby. Everybody else is just going about their business. Think about this. Those that are gathered in the temple are going about their business. They have no idea this is going on. And meanwhile, the salvation of God is being presented. And the rest have no idea what's going on. It's just another day. Because it was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. They were righteous and devout. And God, as much as, again, God is using angels and everything else in the Christmas story that's absolutely spectacular. When it comes right down to it, when God is doing his thing, God works through people. Through unsung heroes and heroines, through the Marys, the Josephs, the Annas, the Simeons. God works through ordinary people like you and me. You can dismiss me in peace. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. He refers to the child as God's salvation, not just as the means of salvation or as the tool or the instrument of salvation, but he sees the Christ child as the means of salvation. It is his life, and eventually as we know it, and we sang about it so appropriately today, his death that becomes the salvation, his life offered in a violent death becomes the salvation for all people. And he goes on in verse 31 and he says, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Meaning this, that God wasn't doing it in a corner. Even though there's all kinds of people in the temple courts unaware of what's going on at this time, Simeon is saying to them that God is doing this, that he is not doing this in a corner, that he's not hiding it out, that it's not just some mystical thing, but that he has prepared in the sight of all nations. In other words, the child is going to be a witness, not just to a few, but to many. And Luke writes to all nations. How so? That he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles in verse 32, and for the glory of your people Israel so this is the plan right we know this from reading the rest of the story he's a Jewish Messiah he's he's of the tribe of Judah he's he's of the kingship through his human ancestry through David and he's going to be for the glory of Israel he is the promise that God had provided that Simeon believed in but at the same time If the Jewish nation is appropriate with handling this, yet to be determined at this time, then the Jewish nation will become a tool, an evangelism tool, in order to share the fact that Jesus isn't just for the Jews, but he's for all people. And it was the responsibility of Israel to make the Messiah known to the rest of the world. That was was their purpose from the very beginning, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, up through the Mosaic law, although God had chosen a people for himself, the role, the goal was this, that we're to take what we know and to share it with others. That was Israel's goal. It wasn't just to hoard them to themselves. It's a powerful message for us in the church, right? Right? This time of the year, we're doing our church services, our church gatherings. We gather. We have something very much familiar with all of us. We love to celebrate this time of the year. But, it's, but he's not just for us. He's for everybody. And so we have a responsibility. He's not just a cloister as Christians. But well, we have a responsibility to disseminate the good news of Jesus Christ. Or we're going to fail just like Israel did. And we're going to think, well, he's just for those of us that already know him. And if others come to know him, that's okay. But, but I'm not going to make it my business to share that. I'm just going to enjoy him. I don't know if, let me illustrate that for you. Um, I don't know what your favorite food is. Shout out to me some of your favorite foods. One at a time. What's your favorite food? Chocolate. Pizza. French, fries. French fries. fries. Cherry pie. Oh, I love me some cherry pie. Bananas. 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 Not as strong on bananas. <laughs> Does the pizza have green olives on it? No. no? Okay, then we're not sharing that. When you're a kid, when you're a kid and you've got your favorite thing, whether it's your favorite toy or your favorite food, it's great to have that. But what happens is this. You don't want to share. Remember in kindergarten, one of the first things they teach you to do, right? Share your toys. You get your favorite food, share your favorite food. It's Christmas time. So Karen last week spent hours baking And she baked so many cookies, she actually got a sore back from standing in the kitchen. The good news is they're really good. (laughs) So Thursday, it was busy at the church, and I didn't go home for lunch. But Karen brought some cookies over, and the morning Bible study brought some stuff too. I have no idea how many cookies I plowed through Thursday. But it's Thursday night, and I'm thinking, I'm not really hungry. And then I realized, oh, yeah. Chris King had brought some nice fruitcake, Christmas cake. Karen had made some shortbreads and some marshmallow chocolate stuff. And then there was also some chocolate chip cookies. And uh, I want you to know I had a really good time. (laughs) Years ago, I would have been reluctant to share some of that with the staff, especially the shortbreads. Because I love me my shortbreads. We can be a little bit like that with Jesus is that we forget that we're supposed to share him with others. Well, he's my Jesus and it's my church and it's my story and it's my message and it's my celebration and, and we forget that we're supposed to share him with others. That he would taste good with others as well. And so he prophesied that he would be a revelation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. You got to remember, right? The Jews, it did not occur to many Jews that a Gentile could be saved. That a, in their time that a Gentile would convert to Judaism. Some did, it happened. But it never really occurred to many of them that Gentiles could be saved. I mean, they were so disgusted with Gentiles and how Gentiles lived. That the last thing that would ever occur to them would be to share their God with the Gentile. Well, they wouldn't be interested. Or they're too sinful. And we have to be careful about that too. That in the 21st century, in a world that really is, you know, dark. And there's lots of things going on that we don't agree with and we don't approve of. And we feel like there are all kinds of enemies you know, kind of standing against the church and the gospel and the Bible, we have to realize that we're still called to be a redemptive people, even in a hostile world. We don't really get to pick and choose who we share with. We share the good news, we spread the seed, and some of it returns 30, 60, and 100-fold, and some don't want anything to do with it. That's fine, but that's between them and God. Let me take you to that point. Verse 33, kind of midway after he says this, Simeon says this, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I don't know how long it takes to marvel. But he's just said all of this, and I'm thinking Mary and Joseph, who still don't have Jesus yet, he's still got him, are looking at one another and, you know, nervously at Simeon and the child because they don't want him to go too far with their boy because they don't know this guy. But at the same time, they're marveling over what's being said about him. Even though Mary knows that it's God's son. But Mary doesn't know the whole story. Verse 34, when Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So now Simeon looks right at her. So I need, I need a mom. So he was talking to Mary and Joseph. He's got the baby. And then he says, and he looks right at Mary. Stares right in the eyes. Because this ain't about Joseph no more. Sorry. This is about Mary. He looks straight at Mary. And he says this. Now, moms. This is being said about your child. Moms. I want all the ladies that are of mom age, whatever that is. Think about this. Again, don't blow through the story so quick. Think about this. He looks straight at Mary. looks looks right in the eyes. And he says this about this little baby. It's just a baby. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he looks at Mary. We've changed your name, Carol. He looks at Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. And they just went to the temple to offer the sacrifice for the purification rites. It was supposed to be a chill day. Now, we already heard from Anna last week, but Simeon drops this bomb on them and specifically on on Mary about what this child is going to be. Now, for those of you that have had children, when, when you got the baby, all you want people to say is how cute the baby is, right? I remember when Taylor was born. I'll pick on Taylor because she was kind of here. Her baby's upstairs now. But that was back in the day where you actually had to go to the nursery to look at the baby. Remember, it's all glassed in. Hey, hey, old folks, remember that? Yeah. Hey? Anybody, I don't know, 30 or older, 40 or older? I don't know. So we had had two boys, which is fine, but, you know, boys. So... I finally get my girl. I finally get my girl, right? And, I, and this is what I would do. I would go to Karen's room, and I would do this. I would be like, yeah, everything good? you need everything? And anything? she say, no, it's good. And then I'd walk down the hallway, and I'd go to the nursery. And I'd lean up against the glass, and I'd just stare at Taylor. It's amazing how long I could stare at her. And all I wanted people to do is when they saw her either in the hospital room or in the nursery, or they, you know, eventually you get your thousand dollar pictures taken. Yeah. All I wanted them to do is just cute baby, right? I can't imagine if somebody came up to me and said, you know, your child is going to be a sign spoken against and the rising of, uh, uh, and falling of many. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's the baby. I just want the baby to grow up and live a healthy and happy life. That's all I, like, what do you mean the child's going to be spoken against and cause the rising and falling of many? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, we get this happening. Michelle sang about it, and I shared a little bit about it. That Emmanuel, God with us, that prophetess back in in the early chapters of Isaiah, the birth of that child and, and her pregnancy would be a sign that God was going to bring his deliverance. In old covenant times, there were all kinds of signs given to Israel that God was going to do something or that something was going to happen whether the, the you know the sun stood still or the shadow of the king went back so many steps saying, you know letting them know that they would be healed and and healthy, and live longer, or that a baby would be born. There was going to be a sign. In Noah's time, there was the rainbow in the sky. There were, the Bible uses all kinds of signs. There are things that happen in nature or to people that identify that God's up to something, God's doing something. So back in Isaiah 7 and 8, this child's going to be born, and he's going to be the sign of God's deliverance. Here, it's, he's going to be a sign spoken against. Because he's going to become God's salvation to the world. And it's going to supersede the Mosaic law. And all of the sacrifices. And what's going on in the temple. And the priesthood. And it's going to be salvation for people everywhere, Jews and Gentiles alike. That everyone can be justified by grace through faith. And you don't have to work through the Mosaic Law. And that's going to upset the Jewish apple cart. And because Jesus is preached and that gospel of salvation by grace through faith is preached, Jesus is going to become a sign spoken against. You can't be saved that way. You've got to go to church. You've got to do this, or you've got to do that, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. Or you have to worship this way on this day with these clothes, and the gals sit on one side, and the girl and the guy sit on another side. And I mean, all kinds of rules that we have put in place these days that are unfortunately, humankind's way of, of, of preaching against Jesus Christ by adding all kinds of stuff to it. And so in the early days of the church, when the church is born, the early days, Jesus and his gospel is is preached against because the status quo doesn't like it. So he is a sign spoken against. How dare they preach that a crucified man was raised from the dead and is the savior of the world. That was outrageous to the Jews to the Gentiles, and so it became a sign spoken against. Let me conclude. Let me bring it home for you. What will happen when Jesus is preached? Verse 35. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. When you're sharing your faith with somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, the hearts of people are revealed. The response that they have, or the lack of response, or the physical response, or the emotional response, or the verbal response, whatever response you can think about, tells you a lot about what's going on inside. Some people rebuff it right away. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't talk to me about that. Some laugh it off as just kind of stupidity, the dumbest thing they've ever heard. Others are convicted by the Holy Spirit, and something penetrates their heart, and they go, "Uh uh-oh. I need to do something with this message. But there's all kinds of different responses from all kinds of different people. But one thing, when Jesus Christ is preached, when Jesus Christ is taught, when you're sharing your faith with somebody that doesn't know the Lord as their Savior, it reveals what's going on in their hearts. Clear as crystal. And Simeon reminds Mary this, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Even the mother of the son of God doesn't get off the hook on this. We know that Joseph fades from the scene sometime later on. But Mary is going to have to sort out. Sometimes, I think it's a military term, have to combat. There's going to be physical, spiritual, emotional exertion about her son. From the time that we read about him when he's 12 years of age and he's off teaching the elders. Or he's turning water to wine. Or he's healing the sick. Or people are antagonistic towards him and want to stone him. And it seems like he's piling up more enemies than friends. And a soul will pierce your own and a sword, pardon me. And a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. You're going to have to sort this out. Because Jesus isn't just a sign to others. Jesus is a sign to you too. And you're going to have to decide. Is he your son or is he God's son? Is it your plan for his life or is it God's plan for his life? If it's, is, is it what's best for Mary and her family? Or is it what's best for the world? Those are big decisions for a mom to make. For, like most moms, protective is all ghetto, right? Do what you want to me. Especially do what you want to my husband. <laughs> but don't touch my kid. Don't touch my kid. Anything but my kid. Would you stand with me and let's pray?